When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant. Be sure to like and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it. If you consider yourself a Good Music Podcast fan, go to our Facebook and Instagram, at Good Music Podcast. Follow us. You'll get updates on all of the new episodes, and you'll even be able to submit your choice for what episode we should have in the future, and we just might feature them. And if you consider good music like a good-tasting pizza or a good-tasting soup or a or fine sandwich. wine uh, or sandwich. Yes. Like you talk about in our after hours. Like we talk about in our after hours, exactly. Um, definitely go down into the description. There's a link to our Patreon. Um, you will get access to episodes early. You'll also get access to exclusive content where we talk about the worst songs of every artist every week in our After Hours Bad Music Podcast. Speaking of which, we have an announcement, an exciting announcement involving our Patreon. Yeah, we we got a new patron. Uh, Justin Giglio, Giglio. Um, I apologize that that's not the correct way to pronounce it, but thank you so much for becoming a patron. Um, We we really love all of the uh, support that we get from you guys. And also, we're going to give a shout-out to um, the listener that sent us the request to do this month's fan pick. Uh, we're going to be talking about ZZ Top tonight. And we got to thank um, Best Rates Girl 123 for, um, for requesting ZZ Top. She, she mostly was asking us to do a Sticks Volume 2, which... Um, you guys can also, if you if you want us to do a volume two of one of your favorite groups, you can request that as well. But um, with the um, the recent news of Dusty Hill's passing and the fact that we had literally just gotten this request to do a ZZ Top episode, it felt like the right timing to to do this one. And uh, thank you so much, Best Rates Girl One Two Three for. Uh, requesting this band and I'm really glad that she did because this was a really fun episode to prepare for. Yeah. So obviously you did a lot more preparation than I did because I mean, I guess let's, that could segue into her first thoughts really quickly. So I'll go ahead and start. Like I've played some of these songs on this list that we're going to talk about many, many times. Oh yeah. We, we played uh sharp dressed man in our, 
cover band that we were in together. We did uh, many times. And I played that in, um, that was one of the first songs I learned in another cover band that I was in for uh, a few years. And uh, there's also, you know, the other big hits like LaGrange and Tush and stuff that, you know, are pretty um, bluesy and simple. And when you're a beginner guitar player, you kind of learn those. Uh, and so that's, but that's where my, I guess, uh, appreciation or really my um, uh, exposure to ZZ Top stops. I mentioned in the Hollow Notes episode that I would watch um, Live at Daryl's House and there was the one with Billy Gibbons. I didn't pay attention much to the songs because I didn't know the songs. And I was just paying attention to like how good the musicians were. And I thought they were pretty good, but I didn't recognize any of the songs. And so the whole time I was like, and eh, not paying attention to, you know, necessarily what the composition was. Um, so I, I was very, very close to becoming, I guess, a possible ZZ top fan candidate. Um, but I never got into them. There have been times when my dad would be watching um, uh, like a recording of their live performance and I would walk by and go, wow, they look like they're putting on quite a show. And then I'd go off and do whatever I was doing before. <laughs> you know. So I've there's been a lot of contact points, but I've never, ever gotten deep into them at all. But the songs that i do know i kind of like them um i've heard you know plenty of commentary on some of their albums as to whether or not some one of their albums has the same song over it or on it over and over again um some people have told me that eliminator every song sounds the same uh, mm. and that their, I would early stuff, with that their early stuff is more bluesy well what i've what i've heard i mean there's an argument for that but it's not necessarily in a bad way maybe it's different i don't know we'll get to that but um i mean i can't even argue for myself because i don't know i haven't listened to all the songs i probably could name three songs that are off that and that's probably their biggest one um maybe it's not that's i don't even know so yeah i'd probably put them in a six because of the songs that i do know i think they're great compositions i like them I regularly play them, listen to them, um, but I'm not, I don't have a large catalog to be able, I don't have a big enough catalog certainly to be able to move to a seven or an eight. Um, I just have to stick at a six. So that's my first thought. How about you? I would say that I also would have started at six before. Um, obviously, ZZ Top is one of those bands that like you just know they're not you know you don't you ask a normal person if they know who's easy top is they're most likely to say yes um but then you ask them to name a song they could probably only name one or two and uh, it's just you just you know who's easy top is you've heard the songs um those they're they're really big songs are are among the biggest staples of classic rock radio and yeah. all things classic rock, you know, they're like you said, the fact that you played it in two different cover bands, it's just they're they're a band that is 
probably one of the most covered in classic rock just because their songs are just are great simple rock blues jams mm-hmm. um so obviously like you know i knew whose easy top was but i i would say i was in the same position as you as like there's several of their songs that i had even played a bunch in different bands uh my school band like lagrange was one of the was one of the songs we played more than any other wow and um i've i can't i can't tell you the number of times i've played that song um uh sharp dressed man we we've played together many many times yeah um but yet also in the same way as you like i just i never cared to take that next step i probably was more aware of how important they were just yeah. just from my more in-depth musical knowledge they're one of those bands that i've always known this is an important band not just a band that had a couple of great songs that this is a band that's kind of that helped shape rock and roll but i never really dug into why and i never really listened to any of the records i think i listened to trace hombres like once and moved on um so i would say six is a fairly similar uh experience this is this is a artist more so than most other episodes i've done where i really kind of was coming in blind like i could probably only name three songs of theirs that i was just like i know how this song goes a couple more that i knew the title of but could not tell you at all what they sounded like Mm -hmm. but a band that I knew we're going to do an episode on them Sunday because they are good and important enough just from, from what I've heard. So this was, this was, this was a, a great opportunity to finally go, okay, let's really get in a ZZ top and see what they're all about. Yes. So let's talk about who ZZ top is. Okay. One of the most interesting things that I learned about them is that an, and really, they still do hold it. And they, this might be an unbroken record. Mm-hmm. Um, the longest continuing lineup of any rock group. Oh, my. Where no members were added, no members left. It's been the same three guys their entire career. I thought they had a different drummer to begin with. Nope. It has always been Billy Gibbons on guitar and vocals, Dusty Hill on bass, and Frank Beard on drums. Bass and vocals. Yes, uh, but much more of a background vocalist. Although, there is a song on this set that he does take lead on. Yes, indeed. Um, more often than not, he uh, right. was a backup vocalist. So when did, when did they begin because longest standing that's a big so they formed in 1969 wow okay so yeah they win (laughs) so yeah so the oldest relationship in the band i always like to make this distinction zz top the the beginning of zz top as a band was billy gibbons it was it's his band Uh um the only time that someone besides those three guys being in the band was at the in the first couple months they i think like the first six months they had a couple of different members um but dusty hill and frank beard played together in a band when they were just teenagers 
like 15 and 16 years old. Wow. They were in a band called the, uh, the Morlocks. And um, they, they tried really hard for a couple of years to, to get their music careers going and nothing was happening and dusty for a couple of years. Just like, ah, screw it. I'm not going to do music anymore. It's not working. Mm-hmm. And then Frank Beard ended up connecting with Billy Gibbons and joined ZZ Top in its very beginning stages. Um, at that time, Frank Beard was already getting pretty heavy into drugs mm-hmm. and said that when he auditioned and did his first jam with Billy, that he was so high on speed that they played uh, Shuffle and C for eight hours. <laughs> oh, wow. But... Billy said from the instant he started playing, he knew that that was the drummer he needed. And so then Frank was the one that said, you know, I got this bass player that I used to play with back in the day. That's really good. We should give him a call and see if he's interested. And that's how Dusty got connected. Wow. So the the intuitive answer of Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill being the earliest relationship no, it was just Frank. Because, I mean, when you see ZZ Top, you know, live, there's the two guitarists up front with the huge beards, and there's Frank Beard in the back with no beard. Yeah, that's that's one of the greatest ironies of that group. I know. Um, um, so how did that happen? Was that so, the only thing, or did that come along later? No, so they actually didn't grow the beards until the late 70s. Almost. You look at pictures of them throughout the 70s, they're almost unrecognizable. Like Billy Gibbons in particular had was like clean shaven with short. Oh and they instead of kind of the 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 look that we imagine with the with the with the top hats and the sunglasses and the mm-hmm. kind of the all black or all gray apparel, they used to wear like bright colored cowboy outfits. Like, you know, like rhinestone cowboy uh, look. Like Dusty Hill would come out in like a red sparkling and silver cowboy suit with a big old cowboy hat and and bedazzled boots. Oh, my. And Billy Gibbons would, I think, would wear like blue. And then Frank Beard really didn't dress up as much because you couldn't really see him. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a very different look in the 70s. Um, so, I mean, it fit the 70s. I'll answer your question in a second because it is going to be important to kind of understand the history of the band at that point. Okay. So uh, they formed in 69. The first record came out in 70. Mm-hmm. And um, pretty much they, they had decided pretty early on that they were going to have the blues kind of be their center. Although um, they had a lot of other influence in them besides just blues. And they always never can when they would label themselves they would never call themselves a blues band they always called themselves a rock group and they also hated the term southern rock uh they were they were just like we're just rock and roll now the blues i would say is the biggest other factor that comes in because a lot of their songs do play in that 12 bar blues progression in the blues scale and just the lyrics and the and the way that they played was very blues inspired. But the way that I heard someone describe it is they they take the blues, 
they plug it into a stack of uh marshall amps mm-hmm. and then instead of singing about how miserable life is they just sing about having a party and having a good time hmm i guess you know not to oversimplify things but that fits the songs that i know yeah i mean you really there's there's not really i can only think of like a bare few number zz top songs we got one of them. Yes, and that's why yeah. it was that was a, that was a nice little nugget to find. But most of their songs are are all about having a good time, and that's just that was always the 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 modem operandus of ZZ Top. It was it was boogie music, music to dance to, music to party to, music to drink to, to have a have a good time. That would explain their popularity. Yes, yeah, so their popularity first started to peak at that at their third record, which is Trace Hombres, which had Lagrange. Lagrange was kind of like their first big hit, and I mean it wasn't that big a hit. I think it it like almost made top forty. Mm. But then um, the record after that was Fandango and Tush. The big song off that record did reach top forty, and so they. They kind of started to really grow in popularity. It, it helped that they got to go on a tour opening for the Rolling Stones. Ooh. And eventually they got big enough to where they were able to uh, headline their own tour. And when they did, they did one of the one of the coolest tours that I've ever heard of. So in mm-hmm. case you didn't know, ZZ Top is from Texas. And in, in fact, they're... Uh, their nickname is that little old band from Texas. <laughs> it was something that a music reviewer wrote as a, uh, as a jab. Because mm. back in that time, Texas was not the American icon state that it is now. It was still kind of considered like a backwater state. And um, there was no really big rock or pop artists from texas the only big artists from texas were like country music like because eve because janice joplin was from texas but she never publicly admitted she was from texas she went out of her way to look like she came from california Hmm. and so one of the biggest things that's important about zz top was they were kind of the first band to come out of texas to like wear Texas proudly on their shoulders. Good for them. And and they really helped to bring Texas culture into the uh into the cultural awareness. And one of the big ways that they did that was their uh worldwide Texas tour. So oh. they they took Texas with them to every city that they went. They had like six big semis painted on the side, uh, Texas landscapes. Their stage was in the shape of Texas. And they had an entire uh, zoo of Texas animals that they would bring on stage. Oh, my goodness. They had buffalo. They had big uh, longhorn cattle. They had... um, they had armadillos. They had uh, buzzards. 
like all the animals that you think of with Texas, they had them up on stage and that had not really something ever been done before. People described it as it's a, it's a strange mix between a rock concert, a rodeo and a circus. Yeah. I was about to say. And that, that just, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. They must've had a good, like, yeah, group. they, they hired a handler that knew exactly how to, uh, how to handle these animals and they, trained them and rehearsed with them a lot before they went on tour to make sure that the animals would react appropriately. Mm -hmm. Frank Beard said the buzzards would sit above his drum cage and that they were just watching him. Oh. And he said, anytime that we played a slow song where I wasn't moving around as much, they started to kind of really eyeball me to see if I was dead. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, just wild stuff. Um, yeah. And then after that tour, they they took two years off. And that was initiated by Frank Beard needing to go to rehab for drug problems. Okay. Like, he was, he was on heroin. He was on coke, LSD. Like, he was a hardcore drug addict. He, he did the suicide. He did them all. Yeah. But it never like it never caused tensions in the band as far as just like oh man we need to get a new drummer mm-hmm. like they're billy and dusty told frank he was just like you know you take all the time that you need you know get yourself healthy as soon as you're ready we'll we'll get back on and it was just like initially it was supposed to just be like a six-month break mm-hmm. and it just it just slowly turned into two years Dusty um, ended up getting a job during that time as an as an airport luggage carrier, like just one of the guys that like is out on the runway, like putting bags into planes. Created a fake identity for himself, and was just like, if I'm not going to be in ZZ Top for these couple years, I want to like live in disguise and live a normal life. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And then Billy Gibbons, like, pretty much lived and explored Europe during those two years. And what happened is that when they kind of all called each other and said, okay, be ready to start again. Uh, And they all met up. Dusty and Billy found that they had both grown huge beards (laughs) and they had, they had grown them because it helped to conceal their identity so that people wouldn't recognize them, Mm -hmm. which is ironic because now that's the thing that people most recognize them for yeah what started off as a disguise ended up becoming their identity yeah that but, and the spinning guitars yeah so in 79 that's when they got back together and that's when the beard the beards officially began and frank said that he also had grown a beard but it was not near the length that the other two were and so he was just like well i'm not going to be able to catch up with you guys Y'all's beards are way ahead of mine, so I just might as well shave mine off and we can play it off as a joke that the guy named Beard has no beard. That was intentional then. Yeah. But yeah, those the beards were not planned. It was just one of those things that they just happened to, when they met back up, just like, oh, you got a huge beard. I got a huge beard. Let's keep them. That's awesome. So, and man, they are down to their down to their belly button 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about the 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 status of the band real quick. I mean, when when you ask someone on the street, just who's ZZ Top, the first thing they'll say is, "Oh, the guys with the beards." Yeah, that's it's actually really incredible when you think about it. They're a band that I would say the majority of people know who they are. Even a lot of the bigger bands don't have that. Like I would say, the Who doesn't have that level of of cultural awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something like that's become part of like public uh, language. Just like it's when someone's talking about a guy with a big beard, they say he's got a ZZ Top beard. Yeah. Like, oh, look, look at that guy with ZZ Top beard. Like, they might not even know a single song by ZZ Top, yet they know that expression. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty amazing thing that they were able to reach that level of visual um, immediacy. Like, that, that look of them, their look has become something that everybody knows. In a way, it's it's almost eclipsed their music. People always think of their image before they think of their songs. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually created this very interesting uh, two-edged sword where they're so well-known, yet at the same time, they're kind of underdogs, dark horses in the rock and roll world. Mm-hmm because of the fact that their music is usually never talked about. It's always the way they look. Mm-hmm. And you would think that that would hurt them, but actually it kind of works to their advantage because once the beard started, it created this, this mystery, this mystique about them. It, um, it really came at right the perfect time because the beards were an instrumental part in kicking off the second phase of their career because right when they started getting going again, MTV came around. Oh, and yeah. I would say fewer bands from the seventies were able to make such a successful pivot transition from the seventies to the eighties than ZZ top did. Like, they're considered one of the great rock groups of the 70s, and they were able to turn around and become iconic music video stars of the 80s. Because of the beards. Yeah, and just and also the car, the Eliminator car. Oh. That, that also has become just a, a fixture in pop culture. So Eliminator must be an early 80s record. 83. So not their first from the 80s. No, they had they had a transition record uh, in 81 called El Loco, where they really first start to experiment with synthesizers and lots of different effects, starting to move outside of just playing blues-based rock. Um, definitely. And the, a lot of it comes from Billy Gibbons, his time in Europe. He got to be around the punk scene, around the new wave scene, and got to experience a lot of different music that was outside what he had grown up with and had been around in the 70s. And so he brought that. And 
one of the secrets to ZZ Top remaining together for so long, for 50 years, was the fact that they were all on board with this stylistic change. There wasn't a situation where it was just like one member of the band was just like, I don't like the direction that we're going in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they all agreed. It was just like, yes, this is the way we want to go. There wasn't, there was no pressure from their label to change their sound. In fact, when they changed their sound to this more radio-friendly, pop-friendly sound, their label pushed against them and said, you're going to alienate your fan base. This is this is too different. And they right. said, trust us, this will work. And they were right. I mean, yeah. Because here limit- we are putting those, putting songs from, you know, the 70s that you mentioned and then putting songs from Eliminator and they don't sound out of place. No, I mean, obviously you can hear a difference. But right. it... it you don't you don't hear it and go, oh my gosh, this is a different band. Yeah, it's still they they brilliantly figured out how to still make it ZZ Top, but but adapt in a way to where they could survive in a new decade. And Eliminator has was a monster record. It's it's sold over ten million albums. That is really good. Diamond certified. Which that is not an easy thing to do, and it wasn't. It wasn't a number one record when it came out. It kind of had a. It had a slow ascent. It it had legs, if you pardon my uh, deliberate pun. Oh my! <laughs> uh, MTV was the biggest reason that that album did so well. Those they had they had those three huge videos for "Give Me All Your Lovin'," "Sharp Dressed Man," and "Legs," that just really became uh, staples of MTV. And it was really at that point that the the image of ZZ Top was really personified with the beards and the car. And I mean, yeah. again, they they had they had started to do that, but I was like, that's when everyone caught on to it. Right, right. That was that was when everyone real. Oh, those, those that that's ZZ Top, and yeah. with the with the synchronized movements and like the spinning the, guitars. Yeah, the spinning guitars and like when the when the car drives by and they all like turn and and do the point. Uh, they're they're when they walk and they're kind of doing like the little dance together and like that's the- just that. In a weird way, it's almost disco. Yeah, it's it's so it's such a unique visual image because ZZ Top is really one of the coolest bands ever. Like as far as just the way that they presented themselves. Like when you think of cool, ZZ Top is one of the bands that comes to mind. They just they just look cool. And they, they almost kind of act like dorks. Like they're like, they're really cheesy at the same time. Like the spinning guitars and the way that they synchronize move together. But yet at the same time, when you pair it with that intense image with the huge beard and the glasses and this, this look of these, these dusty, uh, earthy, 
sun-dried cowboys. It just it melts into this combination of of like oddly alluring. Mm. You look at them and you you are drawn to find out more. It's it's they they hook you in with this so bizarre that it uh that it intrigues you. Because I definitely felt that watching the music videos of just you. I'm, I tried to put myself as if I was watching this in the 80s. And looking, I was just like, man, I'd be really interested to buy that record after seeing this because it's it's so weird. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, it's like it's cool. They weren't cool by doing what everyone else was doing. No one looked like ZZ Top and definitely no one looked like ZZ Top in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You might have found some people look like that in the 70s, but not in the 80s. And then on top of that, to have a, a sleek 80s production. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's just, it's what a what a oddball formula. It's a, it's a lightning in a bottle moment. Yeah. But it works so well. It really I mean, does. Obviously, obviously, here we are talking about them now. It definitely worked. Like they would have gone down as a great group had they not made this eighties change in direction. But it's this incredible phase two that really sets them as one of the greats. This is almost like a like a rehashing of our Hall and Oates episode. Yeah, it really is. Like Where two, are of you? The, two of the greatest groups of all time had this pretty good run in the 70s, reinvented themselves for the 80s, and that reinvention was what, you know, solidified them as being good musicians. Not only a good band, but like good musicians, but they were able to adapt their specific sound to the 80s. I mean, because obviously 70s ZZ Top sounds very different from 70s Hollow Notes. 80s ZZ Top sounds very different than 80s Hollow Notes, but it's definitely 70s and 80s, and it's definitely ZZ Top and Hollow Notes. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was it it was a fascinating, uh, fascinating story, of just like, again, it's when you when you put all of it on paper, it shouldn't work, and I understand <laughs> why their label is just like, oh my god, what are they doing? Uh huh. Yet they knew. They knew that it would work. And, and pretty incredible results. Unfortunately, when you have such a huge album like Eliminator, it's going to be really difficult to follow it up. So I guess the follow-up is the big generator. Um, I would say in the way that it's written, but it actually did pretty well, although it didn't do oh. as good as Eliminator. All the singles actually did better on the charts, but it did not sell for as long as Eliminator did. Again, Eliminator had legs, and I and I, I say that jokingly, but also really the the secret to Eliminator's success is that it kept selling. It didn't go to number one. In fact, Afterburner, I believe, went higher on the charts because you know they were this was an a heavily anticipated follow-up. And so, of course, it was going to sell really big right up front. Afterburner is the is the follow up. Yeah, it came out in eighty five. 
and um, they definitely doubled down on the 80s, on the drum machines, on the synthesizers, on the crystal slick production. And this, the songs are not near as strong. I would say there's one really good song on that record. Wow. That that makes it almost to the top 10 on the right playlist. Ooh. But um, there's, there's three songs from Eliminator in the top 10. So that should, that should tell you something. That, yeah, I mean, considering the fact that they've been going for 52 years, I assume they've been writing music on and off for that amount of time. Yeah. So obviously, a lot of music. they never again returned to the, the critical and creative heights of Eliminator. That was kind of like, that was the, the once in a lifetime album. It, it hit at the right time. They were at the right level of popularity to be able to kind of get this big unexpected surge while at the same time still being a a noteworthy band. Yeah. But, you know, it's just it's it's next to impossible to try and have another album do what Eliminator did. But they did make some fairly decent music afterward. Um, they're, they're, they're what's I'm assuming now is going to be their final record. It came out in like 2012. Uh, La Futura is actually considered one of their better records. Hmm. And, and I would have to agree. It's got some, it's got some good songs. It's kind of like a return back to the seventies. Oh, a back to roots record. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so Eliminator was the peak, and it kind of it, it definitely uh, dropped down after that. But in the early '80s, it was hard to be bigger than ZZ Top. Wow! Now um, the name ZZ Top. Yes, of course. Um, there's not there's not that cool of a meaning to it. In fact, there's really not a meaning at all. Um, when Billy Gibbons was in a rehearsal room, he saw posters uh, for BB King, and um, I think it was ZZ Hill, and he was just like, "Oh, it's cool that they both have two letters and then a, a name." And so mm-hmm. he was like, "I really like the ZZ," and he was like, "Originally, we were going to be ZZ King." And he's just like, no, that's that's too obvious of a ripoff of BB King. And he's just like, well, where does the king sit at the top? Will be ZZ Top. See, I always thought it had to do with like a circus or something. No, I don't know. There's not there's not any inherent meaning in the name itself. I mean, yeah, you've kind of got the the king top story, but. It's just one of those things where he was just like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Let's just do it. Well, I mean, it sounds cool. It worked. Mm-hmm. There's some, I mean, that's kind of like, it's the same kind of story of Metallica's names. Like, Lars had a friend who came up with it, and Lars was like, oh, that sounds cool. Now, well, Lars told him that it was a terrible name. Oh, that that's true. Should, well, he should go with the other name that he presented and then secretly stole Metallica. That's true, but... Which is the most large thing ever. I mean, it's true, 
but still at the end of the day the reason the name was created was because it sounded cool yeah anyway so uh, anyway i think we have some good context for what we're going to talk about unless there's anything super important um Let's. I I, th- I think we already kind of touched base on just kind of what ZZ Top sound is. Yes. Um. Also, something I didn't mention earlier is that all keyboards and electronic elements are done by Frank Beard. Oh wow! So, and he's the one that I feel like if you're uneducated and you think of like you know that you've got the '70s more authentic sounding ZZ Top, and then you have the 80s uh, synthesizer-driven ZZ Top, it almost sounds like the drummer is the one that suffers the most because a lot of his parts get replaced with drum loops and drum machines and a lot of uh, electronic drums. And I think it'd be... Because, you know, whenever you have those moments, like in Rush, when they went super, super 80s, it's it's well known that Alex Lifeson was kind of the one that got his parts got less important. Yeah. Because all of his guitar lines and chords got replaced with Getty's synth lines. And in 80s Easy Top, Billy Gibbons' guitar is still very front and center. It's still what's driving the song. And of course, the bass is still sitting there underneath, but it sounds like the drums almost get removed the most, but you would think that Frank Beard would maybe be the one in the band that's just like hey man my, I'm not I'm getting all my parts replaced by machines but when you actually learn about it he's the one that did all that yeah so. and it's weird to have a drummer you know we think that a lot about drummers no offense Lucas but that you don't <laughs> understand melody as much yeah the fact that he's doing all of the all of the cool synth lines that are almost like they would sound good on a record now. They would sound kind of innovative. Well, maybe not innovative, but very, uh, they would fit in a modern sounding record. Um, that fact that he's doing that, it doesn't sound dated at all. It doesn't sound um, like stuck in the 80s. It's very timeless. Yeah. And maybe that's just it has to do with the simplicity of it. But at the yeah, same the, time, this... the fact that he was able to. Um, create that and for it to be exactly what it needed to be for to also back up the song and to have the other instruments still be the center of attention yeah the thing that makes eliminator work is that the synths are never in your face yeah it's they're 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 very organically woven in Mm -hmm. to the instrument tracks to where you kind of don't know you know that there's something synthetic in it, but you can't place where in the mix it is. Right. I mean, that's, we're listening to our third song. Um, and, you know, that was one of those that I've heard so many, or I thought I've heard so many times. And listening through this set, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a synth line in there. And I, probably because I was wearing headphones this time. And just like, huh. You know, you don't you don't really because it never jumps out at you, but when you're trying to piece together like what each instrument is playing, there's a little part that you can't assign to anything, and it's like, oh, that's the synthesizer. So it was, it was a real interesting little dig for some of these songs to just figure out 
what each instrument is and not necessarily the same kind of dig that you would having like a prog setting of like how they're playing what they're playing but assigning instruments to sounds and it's not a huge puzzle but it's still very interesting very fun yeah yeah ZZ Top one of the one of the great power trios indeed that little old band from Texas we'll go ahead and We'll go ahead and take a break here, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs that we've picked for our ZZ Top episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about ZZ Top and their wonderful 70s run and their transition to their wonderful 80s run. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we've selected for this episode. So for every episode, we like to select um, six songs that will hopefully serve as a great introduction to the band. If you've never heard of them before, the way you can listen to these songs, which you definitely should go down in the description. There's a link to a Spotify playlist that has not only these songs, but all the songs from every episode. So hopefully you'll be able to find them. And maybe if you see some songs from another band that you're interested in, Check out that episode as well to learn more. Um, once again, hopefully these will serve as a good introduction. They're not necessarily the greatest songs or our favorite songs, but they do have a nice flow from start to finish. And even if you've already heard them, please go listen to them. In this order, you might get something out of it you didn't before. So without further ado, let's get into our first song, which is off of Eliminator, which we talked about extensively in our last segment. This is Gimme All Your Lovin'. I mean, this is, this is a slam dunk for a set opener. It really is. I mean, there's some pretty good ways, you know, to open this set. But this is a, this is one of their bigger songs. This is one yeah. of those that, that, you know, someone off the street probably could name. Yeah. This is, this is the song that opens Eliminator. It was the first single released off Eliminator. And it was the first one that they made a music video for. So it's the it's the first. Yeah, this this is this is what began their uh success in phase two. This is this is the song that got everyone back onto the ZZ top wagon. So. And you got you got that uh you got that drum beat intro where it's just the drums and then all the instruments kinda come in together. Mm-hmm. It's just very much um it's not in your face in the same way that metal is, but it's just like it's we're big. Here, we're gonna. We're gonna. Yeah, it's big. It's big. It's it's unapologetic and it's big, but it's not crazy. It's just we're gonna have a good time. It's a great wall of sound. It is, man. And the sound production just—it sounds like they're performing right in front of you. They're all around you. It's great. So, whoever they got doing the sound, it was the correct choice. Uh, I I remember seeing who it was and I can't remember who it is but he was a uh, he was a industry uh, stalwart worked so, with a lot of big names I just that, I can't remember. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head that would explain that really crisp 80s sound yeah it was a guy that knew how to make great 80s music and um, yet you still can feel that that blues underpinning Ooh, yeah. inside the music. 
if you really think about it, this was probably the biggest blues music of the 80s, besides maybe Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. But Stevie Ray Vaughan definitely did not have the MTV or chart success that ZZ Top did. Stevie Ray was probably more pure blues. In fact, I will say it was more pure blues. Mm-hmm. But it was not as big as Eliminator was. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely less of uh, that swing kind of blues that Stevie Ray Vaughan does that we would normally associate with blues. But at the same time, you know, where would you put this music other than blues? It's very, very... Uh, Ele- electronic blues. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And again, that's but- just like... There's no other band that's ever attempted to make an album that sounds like this. That's yeah. written like It's so – the more I started to think about it, the more I was just like, this is such an anomaly. Because, like, when it comes to, like, rock and roll, like, if you weren't, like, hair metal, you were not that big. It's true. I mean, there, there weren't a lot of, like – I mean, you did have the rising – um alternative rock movement but that didn't really hit until like the later 80s when you had u2 and jane's addiction and rem and all those bands starting to come up um because you wouldn't even necessarily classify zz top as hard rock not in the same way that you would like acdc or guns and roses Mm -hmm. uh, or aerosmith it's they're just rock Almost like that, the old, good old rock and roll. Yeah, it's but yet it's got this it's got this noticeable eighties touch to it. Yep. It's just it's the more I think about it, it's I feel like some of these songs have been are taken for granted because the thing that you kind of have to overcome with some of these songs is that they are overplayed. These are a lot of people are going to hear these and go oh i know this song it's nothing special it's not that good but that's just because they've heard it so many times luckily i kind of am able to turn that part of my brain off and i'm able to listen just go okay regardless of how many times i've heard this you know in commercials and in shopping malls and um and on the radio let's just listen to it objectively and it's just like man these songs just hold up so well yeah and I mean, this is this song is a perfect example of what I was just talking about in the previous segment. Like the guitar is still, and you mentioned this too. The guitar is still very much in the center. You mm-hmm. know? So, I mean, there's plenty of solos. There's licks all over the place in that blues style, um, and the bass is still keeping it locked down. But there's like that synth coming in here and there and if you really listen for it, it's kind of like you know? it's more of a texture <laughs> right and i that is what contributes to that 80s wall of sound and like you you couldn't really compositionally definitely from a sound perspective but compositionally and definitely in the spirit of things you can't distinguish this too much from um some of the songs that we will talk about from the 70s yeah obviously like the beat is more danceable it's more um i mean because you can listen to the drum beat it's pretty much it sounds like it's just repeated over and over again kind of thing 
Um, and that's a lot easier, I guess, to digest for a casual listener. Um, but take that away. And you essentially got yourself what I would understand to be a 70s easy Top song. Yeah. In spirit. Man, but it's got a, it's got such a great 80s chorus. Ooh, it does. It's those a great tight, hook. Those tight BGVs. Yes. Yes. And th- I assume that's just um that's just the two voices. Is that both of them doing it in the studio? Yeah, and obviously they they layer many times on top of each other. Well, it's not just two two takes. It's but not yes, just... but yes, it's 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 them it's Billy and Dusty. Okay, it's not and especially it's not... that's that's what it's you'll get when you Billy, hear them live. It's not Billy harmonizing with himself. It, in places, yes, but it's okay. it's Billy and Dusty harmonizing with themselves. Mm-hmm. I assume they uh, play this kind of flawlessly live, especially after so many years. Oh yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing to watch. Because just again, they don't have to move around a whole lot. They just they move with such a with such a class and such a ooh yeah a swagger. Mm-hmm. And there's that nice um, flat seven kind of bluesy little uh, interlude, instrumental interlude that kind of yeah. And that keeps that blues very much alive. You know, and those nice um, solos. Now, there's a thing about Billy Gibbons, how he plays, that he will use this coin. I don't remember what coin it is to pick. He won't use a pick. He'll use this coin. And he said that 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 affected the way that he would play. He also said that he used to try to get the thickest strings possible, you know, because Steve Ray Vaughn, which we talked about, you know, uh, would use like 10s or 11s or 13s or something on his guitar and he'd have to put these special springs in the back to keep it from tearing itself apart. And so he tried to chase that, but um, it just wasn't the same. So he plays sevens now, which is a very, very light guitar string gauge. And, you know, I'm, I'm worried that if I were to do that, I'd break a string, but he's found a way to be able to, um, I guess, capitalize on the ability to get that kind of twang from uh-huh. the combination of those two things. And that's what you're hearing from the uh, guitar that makes it just a little bit more bluesy. Yeah. Um, let's, let's briefly touch on the musicianship of ZZ Top. Yes. Because they're not, they're not going to be players that are just going to like go off and just start going into these crazy, technical, complicated parts. Even a lot of Billy's solos, they're not shred solos. Yeah. But at the same time, they have such a awareness of exactly what the song needs that they're really great at playing stuff simple, but playing it really good. Mm-hmm. Like That's kind drums, of the secret sauce. Yeah, the drums in this song are incredibly simple. Yet, if he had done more, it would have taken away. That's true. The drums are exactly what they need to be. The bass is exactly what it needs to be. The guitar is exactly what it needs to be. But they also play in such a way that the groove is always really, really strong. They're an incredibly tight band. That's true. That's you got the same guys point. 
playing for 50 years with each other. That's going to bound to happen. But even in the early days, they were so tight. And that's one of the, that's one of the magical things about ZZ Top is just their tightness, their groove. Yeah, it is. It is a really tight track, you know, and that that will continue for the rest of this set, in some cases more than others. But um, definitely this song, very tight. So let's move on to our next one. Yes, let's move on to our next one. This is the one where um, I would like to say when I was ten years old, the bass player sings this one. Yep, and that was that's how I understood this song. It was not by the title. It was the one the bass player sings. This is Tush. This is off Fandango. So I assume yeah. this is 76. Maybe. Uh, it was 75. Ooh, I was close. Because we got the 2006 remaster. I assumed it was 40 anniversary or something. 30. No, and I can, I can fact check that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm very certain it was 75. Yep, so, it was 75. So you got, you got a picture of them there. And... I don't see any beards, so that was before the beard time. Yep. And this this album is interesting because it's actually half studio, half live. Oh, that's awesome. And um, obviously this was one of the studio tracks. Mm-hmm. Dusty Hill, Rest in Peace, uh, sings lead on this one. This is by far the biggest song of theirs that he sings lead on. Um, he usually sings like one, maybe two. Usually he'll get one song where he gets to sing full lead on, and then there's one song that him and Billy will, like, share. Yeah. Where they, like, they co-lead. Like, they'll trade off verses or something like that. Or, like, Billy will sing the verses and Dusty will sing the choruses or vice versa. Is that Uh, more of a Billy Gibbons saying no or... No, uh, it's just because... Him saying, hey, Dusty, you want to sing this one? Dusty knew that Billy was the voice of the group. Mm-hmm. And, and Billy, or uh, Dusty still did his fair share of singing. Like, there's there's a lot of harmonies and BGVs throughout a lot of their music. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he definitely gets to do... It's just... He's a he's a typical bass player in the sense that he's not gonna try and take the spotlight. Mm-hmm. But man, does he rip this vocal track? It's very. I mean, this is seventy five, and it's very crisp and clean. And oh, I don't. I there's there's a little bit of range here too. Mm-hmm. He's got good breath. I mean, for not being a lead vocalist. That's a really good track. Okay, so I remember now their um, their sound engineer. I can't remember his name, but he's the same guy that worked with Zeppelin in the early seventies. And the same guy in Eliminate. Yep he was he did all of ZZ Top's albums from seventy three to ninety. Oh wow! So all Sorry. the so- all the songs except for two of them are going to be the same sound engineer. So, he wow. so in this instance the same guy that made Tush sound really great also made Eliminator sound great. Well, that would kind of explain the or part of the similarity 
part of that continuity. Mm -hmm. Uh, This song was pretty much written during a sound check. And when I say written, I mean played on the spot, just from a riff that Billy Gibbons messed around with and the rest of the band decided to just jam on it. And Dusty improvised the lyrics right there on the spot. Oh, that's awesome. And they were like, oh, we, we should we should record that. Yes, <laughs> that's, you should. That's pretty cool. And here we are. Here we are talking about it. And this is one of those that I had known before this episode. Yeah, this is I feel like this is like the the one of the, like the great biker anthems. I mean, there was a cover band that played it the other night. So, um and I was just like, "Huh, like you wouldn't think and it was from a band that doesn't play this kind of music." Mhm. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like <laughs> it's kind of extended outside of their their genre in it's... a weird way because it's kind of it's different than the other ZZ Top songs that, you know, are super well-known. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's got that same kind of spirit to it. It's really weird. It's hard to explain. It's, it's so simple, yet it's played in a way. Because, I mean, this is this is just a 12-bar blues jam. Right. With a, with a great guitar riff. That bump a bat down up down down down. I mean that's just that's a great riff. You got a great hooky riff, and it's it's played with such, it's played really aggressively, but not in the way of like it scares you off. Like it's got a lot of grit and a lot of snarl to it, yet it still exudes fun and excitement. Yeah. It doesn't sound like, you know, Judas Priest. Yeah, that's true. It's it doesn't have it doesn't have danger in it. It just has like unbridled fun. Yeah. And that's what the whole and that's what the song's about is just going out and, and finding the good life. The uh Tush has is a double meaning. Obviously it's he's looking for some butt. <laughs> but also, he said that, you know, Tush is, is slang for um, the good life. Like, if something is awesome, if something's really nice, high quality, it's Tush. Like, you'd say, man, your car's Tush, saying that you got a really nice car. And yeah. so it's a, it's a double entendre, which our it's, rock bands sure do love that because, yeah, it's it's it. Also, it also means finding a hot girl. It's a double entendre, but it's the other way around, where it the obvious meaning is the less innocent one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, great blues song, simple, 12-bar blues. And you're right, it's kind of like our first song. It's simple, but played really well, played responsibly. And... I mean, there's great guys that are laying down the tracks. So. I mean, this it's under three minutes. It's it's yeah, it's which is a a surprisingly large number of songs in their discography is under the three minute mark. Really? Because it's just it, they get in, they say what they need to say, play the notes they need to play, and they don't overstay their welcome. It's it's very rare when their songs get to the five minutes and above. Hmm. Like, that's, 
Two to three is the average. Four, fairly common, but not that common. And then once you get five and above, I think the longest song is actually the last song on our set. That's the longest song I've come across. Well, so they are not one for the epics. Or volume two is not going to be ZZ Top epics. No, there, <laughs> there, there are no epics. Uh, man, so with that, I think we should move on to our third song. Yeah. This is a song. This is the song that you and I have played many times together. That yeah. I've played with other bands many times. Is Sharp Dressed Man? I would say this is ZZ Top's signature song. Definitely. This is the song like you it's it really comes down to either this song or Lagrange. Mm-hmm. But what I found and I and I find that I like to experiment with this with people that I know when I'm researching is I'll ask them what songs do you know? And I'm asking people that I kind of know aren't already like historians that are going to know it just because they know music really well, just like your normal you know, music listener. And everyone I asked is just like, oh yeah, they're the ones that do Sharp Dressed Man, but that's the only one they could name. And then I was just like, well, do you know LaGrange? And they're like, I don't know that. But then I played and they're like, oh yeah, I've heard that. I just didn't know it was them. Hmm. But everyone knows that ZZ Top does Sharp Dressed Man. That's become their anthem. And everybody knows that chorus too. Yep, and um, and everyone knows that riff. That that riff is honestly one of the coolest, baddest riffs ever written. Oh yeah, it's is, that's got cool written all over on it. You know? I mean, again, it's I feel like a lot of people discount it just because they hear it so many times. Mm-hmm. This is this is such a played song. Like you it is playing on a classic rock radio station somewhere 24/7. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. But I just there's just something about it that it exudes this 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 coolness. Yeah. That is just you listen to it and you're just like, "Oh my gosh." And there's a lot of class to it. Uh-huh. But yet at the same time a a little hint of danger. It's it's got a it's got a don't mess with me attitude mm-hmm. to it. You step out I'm going to do you in. Uh-huh. So and it's 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 kind of funny because ZZ Top is usually not the sharp dressed man. You don't you don't imagine ZZ Top wearing all the things that they're describing in their song, mm-hmm. but yet it's like when you when you hear him describing it all, it's like your mind goes to what they look like. Yep. Because I mean, there's a couple things like when he says the black shades, you know, um, the top hat, um. You know, diamond ring. Those those are all the things that they do wear in their iconic image. Mm-hmm. But you know, obviously, he's not wearing a clean shirt or new shoes. Mm-hmm. He's not wearing probably cufflinks or a stick pin. Mm-hmm. But they they were absolutely right on the money. Every girl's crazy about a sharp dressed man. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the quotable part of that song. What was really interesting to learn about this was that this was not – this was of the three songs released from Eliminator, this was the least successful one. Wow. So this one took the slow burn of the slow burn album. Yeah, because Legs was the was the best performing single off of the record. It got up to like number nine, which I think is the best a single of theirs has ever done. Yeah, I'd expect and, that one to do pretty well. But this song, I think, like didn't even make top forty. I think it like got to like fifty one or something. Wow. And and give me all I love, and I think was like in the thirties. Hmm. But this is a song that, yeah, as as time has gone on, this song has kind of just grown to become the iconic ZZ Top song. It's always fun to find those songs because, I mean, we talked about that with Led Zeppelin, that like everyone knows, or at least everyone my generation knows Immigrant Song now, but that wasn't such a big song when it came out. Mm -mm. You know, it's like, that's almost their defining song other than stairway you know to people my age and now that sharp dressed man you know we're here we're talking about sharp dressed man being their defining song now and not being that big of a splash in the heyday you know it was, it's just interesting to find those things yeah because when i when i was going through the charts i was expecting sharp dressed man to be like the their biggest single yeah and it was very surprising that not only was it not, but it, there were lots of other songs that performed better than it. Now it was still it was still a a pretty sizable hit, mm -hmm. but not compared to some of their other songs. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of the proof of a good song is the fact that it's going to stand the test of time and eclipse, you know, everything else over time. And I, and and it's also interesting because when you because the 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 three singles their music videos form a narrative trilogy. Oh really? Uh huh. Oh, that's awesome. And Sharp Dressed Man is the middle one. And after watching all three of them, the majority of the iconic ZZ Top video moments come from "Give Me All Your Lovin' and "Legs." And and Sharp Dressed Man actually is contains more of the imagery I was just like I'm not familiar with this. Hmm. Like all the all the all the the iconic moments are from the other two. The the spinning guitars and mm -hmm. and the dancing is from legs and you got the car and the pointing and and all that is from give me all your loving. The sharp dressed man it's it's still a good video and it's got some great moments but not the those moments that you think of. Right. When you think of ZZ Top. Right. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see that it was not the huge song of that record. But now, yeah, you, you ask anyone to name one ZZ Top song, that's the one they're going to pick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so. again, it's we're, we, we unfortunately don't have a whole lot to like analyze because these songs are very simple. They're very straightforward. But... Right. Man, these songs are just so cool and so good. I, I mean, that's that's kind of a... It's this song and our previous song, Tush, right? Are essentially these blues songs constructed around, you know, Billy Gibbons playing um, these two-note bar chords. And that's what gives it kind of that bluesy 
Um, and Thrash does this too, oddly enough. The kind of bluesy, not quite rooted vibe. So it sounds very, very melodic that way. So, Yeah. Um, I, I loved the way that Billy Gibbons described ZZ Top. He said, we're the same three guys playing the same three chords. <laughs> but they're really not. No, but it's just, it's, you know... And the fact where you had kind of said earlier about how Eliminator, all the songs sound the same. That's what I've heard. Again, I, I would say that's not true. That the, There is a similarity in the same way that when you listen to an ACDC record, there's going to be a continuity between all the songs because they have a very specific way that they write and perform. Right. But there's there are subtle differences when you're listening for them. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, with with these songs, with a song like Sharp Dressed Man, the the brilliance in it is its simplicity. I mean, you want to talk about very simple lyrics. He's literally just naming nice things that people wear. And <laughs> I feel like for other people, that would result in a really lame, lazy song. Mm-hmm. But... And that's also just one of the that's I always talk about in country music. That's like the thing that irritates me the most is when people just list things. Mm-hmm. Yet it works in this song, and it works. I think, man, that guitar riff is just that's what holds the whole song together. That's true. That guitar riff makes everything else by association ten times cooler. Yeah, especially that little tidbit at the end where it goes da 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 da, you know, and the fact yeah. that the guitars are panned a little bit and they they don't sound very dry; they sound like they're kind of you're kind of in the room with them. It's just it's all of these things are just very subtle, you know, little tidbits in there to make the song feel more alive. I mean, like when he says when he sings "Black Tie" and there's the black tie, you know, yeah, the little. Um, whooping and hollering in the background during certain, you know, lyrics. It's like, it's fun. Like, it's a fun song. Yeah. yeah. It's not trying to take itself too seriously. But at the same time, it's seriously good. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, so now, yeah, let's, move, go ahead. let's move on to our next song. This, this kind of takes us... I mean, obviously, we had a 70s song as our second song, but the second half of our set in particular is going to be much more, um, much more blues 70s based. Rooted in the 70s and of a different vibe, really. Yeah. Even because even Tush doesn't sound like it would be too out of place between Gimme R11 and Sharp Dressed Man. They're just, they're more like just straight to the point, powerful, punchy blues rock songs where here in the second half we're going to have a lot more jam elements so just got paid off of rio grande mud so what year is this this is their second record so this was 71 um this is a great record i think it's one of their best ones Ooh, okay. um, obviously, obviously, we get we get two songs from the set off this one. Um, I would say this is probably the the Dark Horse record as far as like the record that's really good that doesn't get as much attention as some of the bigger ones. 
Like Trace Hombres is is considered like the great seventies easy top record. But you've also got like Fandango is a really respected record. Uh Deguelo, which was their um the first album of their comeback because so, it came out in seventy nine. But it still sounds like a lot of their seventies stuff is 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 a really great strong record. Um and then you have uh, you have Tejas, which is okay, and the first record that is cool, but you can tell not quite together. Real Grand Mud is definitely the the underdog, and I think is one that when you listen to it, you'll be surprised by how many really strong songs are on there. I mean this this is a good song. Obviously, we're talking about it, but it, it's. Of a different vibe, it's very Hendrixy. I yes, that's actually really funny that you mentioned that it's because okay. Billy Gibbons actually, in his first band before ZZ Top, toured with Hendrix and opened for him. Oh wow! And uh, a really funny story was that they were um, they were expected to play forty minutes, and they did not have forty minutes worth of material. And so Billy decided that they were all going to learn Foxy Lady and Purple Haze. And they're opening for Hendrix and they're going to play two of Hendrix's biggest songs. Mm-hmm. You want to you talk about ballsy. Yeah, really. So he said that the first night that they did it, they got through Foxy Lady and he was about to start Purple Haze and he looks out of the audience and Jimmy is standing there watching him. And he's immediately thinks, oh, crap. And so he gets through the set and Jimmy comes up to him and he just smiles at him. He says, I like you. You've got nerve. <laughs> and Jimmy actually had made a statement to the press because this was in 68. So it's a year before ZZ Top formed. And he made a press statement and said that Billy Gibbons is one of the best guitar players in the country right now. Oh, wow. That will help. Yeah. And so, and the whole reason that th- that he wanted ZZ Top to be a power trio was after being on the road with Hendrix and seeing how powerful a three piece could be. Yeah, three pieces, you can get some really great music out of that stuff. I mean, we have plenty of episodes on three piece bands. Yeah, Muse, The Police, Rush. Right. So Hendrix and, and all of them have this really crazy remaining the same in spirit throughout all of the years that they play. I mean, right. We talked about Muse, like their second album, we went through origin of symmetry and it was crazy how different that is from, you know, their more recent stuff. And yet at the same time, it's, it's definitely them. Like there's definitely that same Muse thing. And we got that same thing going on here. With ZZ Top, right? That's because the thing with a power trio is that you cannot have a weak link in the group. Oh, that's true. When you have only three guys, all three of them have to be um, uh, creative forces. And so because of that, they're all going to always be contributing to the sound of the band. It's not going to just be one guy leading it in whatever creative. Uh, direction he wants 
It's true. It's always, true. it's always usually a team effort in power trios. Mm-hmm. So, um, just got paid. Man, that that main riff is just nasty. Yeah, it's more it's more uh, complex than you would think ZZ Top would be. This is the song that I think that will really show that ZZ Top were really great players. Yep. That if you if you listen to the first three songs, you're like, man, that's cool, but they don't strike me as really competent players. This is the song that will come on and you'll go, oh, okay, hold on. Kind of in the same way that in our Prince uh, episode, you've got three of his pop songs, but then you have Bambi come along and you're, and it kind of makes you go, wait a minute, holy crap, Prince really knows how to play his instruments. Right. And, I mean, same thing in here. Like, you get it the first 10 seconds. You got them all playing very tightly that little run there. Mm-hmm. Doo-doom, boom, 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 boom. That little <laughs> bass harmony. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Frank Beard is playing a, a very fast, complex groove. Like he he's really holding it down in the rhythm section. And there's just these little tidbit licks where um Billy Gibbons is doing these really fast hammer on pull off steel and you'd miss it if you weren't listening. But he's really adding just little extra spice here and there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they are masters of their instruments. You know, and certainly masters of their instruments in the way that um, it fits their genre. Yeah, and just it, it sounds effortless while they're playing it. Right. It really does. It's not like they um, learned their instruments so they could play the song. Uh huh. <laughs> they're this is this is a natural outpouring of their already uh, well crafted yes. talent. Yes, and so early, so early in their career together that they're able to gel in such a way. Well, it's just, it goes back to them all saying that the reason they, again, stayed together so long is because they knew right at the very beginning that they met and played with each other that they were musical soulmates. It's true. Well, they Frank, were. Frank Beard described it as just like, I, you know, I found the people that I want to play the rest of my life with at a really young age. And most people don't get to do that. That's nice. So yeah, this, this song is just going to really show you that side of ZZ top, that side that when you go see them live, they're going to go into some really cool extended blues jams. Did they do that in the eighties? Yeah. They sure did. 80 songs? Not not on their studio records. Although occasionally they would do something like, but not near in the same way that they're doing here. But if they, like if they're playing one of their songs, they were like Sharp Dressed Man live, they would extend that? Yeah, because obviously, you know, it's a fade out. So you can really do whatever you want at the end of that song. That's a good point. You know, in the in the in kind of the same way that we would, yeah. Because we always we always you you have to come up with a new ending whenever you have fade outs, and so um, it gives you the especially with a song like that that ends on a jam. You know, you have the you have the ability to really do something cool. 
but just the way that the song is arranged it's it's not arranged in a way to where because i mean you've got the you've got the verses that are in the 12 bar blues structure but then it goes into that um into that solo section and it it doesn't just stick to that 12 bar uh structure it really goes to through a lot of dynamic changes you've got those stops um, this is a song that you can tell they really put a lot of thought into the uh, arrangement of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's simple lyrics. Simple yeah. bluesy lyrics. Like, Means, happy, happy blues. Yeah, That's just got me today, got me a pocket full of change. Yep. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get too much more deep than that. And that's just, the, that's always the thing about ZZ Top. There there might be like a cool little origin on just maybe where a... a a title or a phrase came from, but like their lyrics are not really hiding anything deeper because it's not su- really supposed to. They're not. They're not doing any philosophical musings. They're usually not um, like telling deep, intimate stories of their own lives. They're mm-hmm. just. They're just writing good, easy lyrics on top of some great jam music. Mm-hmm. Speaking of great jam music, okay, <laughs> we come up on uh, one of the iconic jam songs, Lagrange. Oh man, I remember. I mean, speaking of jam, right? I remember that band that I was in before we played together. We would do this song as well, and um, <laughs> I was just—we had a band meeting. We we're coming up with the structure. I'm like, let's do a 32 bar solo followed by another 32 bar solo followed by a 32 bar keyboard solo and we all just looked at each other and we're like well why not because <laughs> it's such a simple it's such a simple and obviously like we were teenagers we didn't know how to structure songs but uh, it's such a simple like riff and arrangement that you can really do whatever you want with it and it's still Lagrange. Right? Yeah, like I mean, there's that opening section where he sings, and then after that, it's just solo. <laughs> yeah, the, this is a song really where the the focus is on the instruments, right? But this was, like I said earlier, this was the song that that really jump started their career because this is off uh, Trace Ombres, which is the third record. It came out in '73. And um, this was this was the this was the breakthrough record for that first phase, and so you've pretty much you've got two kind of like landmark ZZ Top records. You've got uh, Trace Ombres in the seventies, and you've got Eliminator in the eighties. Ten years apart, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly ten. Um, Lagrange, like I. Like Sharp Dressed Man has just kind of gone on to become like one of those songs that everybody knows. Yeah. But unlike uh, Sharp Dressed Man, I've, I've found that a lot of people don't know that it's specifically ZZ Top that did it, but like everyone knows that guitar riff. That's mm-hmm. that's like one of the great 70s guitar riffs. It's just a nice, simple, you know, two note bar chord guitar riff. Mm-hmm. Got a little you got a little modulation for the solo section. 
you've got that incredible breakdown. That's almost in a way kind of iconic in of itself. Yeah, that it's it's a nice little melody too. I can't explain what it is, but man, it is good. And you know, bringing it back down before the second solo, the second you know super huge solo. Uh huh. And it's not a shreddy solo either. It's very bluesy, just kind of like exploring the notes kind of solo. Yeah. It doesn't sound aimless. It doesn't sound like he doesn't know what he's doing on the guitar. But it does sound like he's exploring in a very good way. Just kind of he's... like seeing with seeing like what kind of picture he is painting, figuring out what the solo is while he's soloing. But he's yeah. got such a knowledge of the guitar that he knows which paths he can go down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it doesn't it never sounds uh boring or dry. You know, maybe if you're not into blues, you probably don't get it, but I would imagine for someone who's pretty into blues, this is this is pretty much pinnacle, you know. Yeah. Um the little lyrics that we do get are I would actually say probably have the most interesting backstory of all of their lyrics. Oh. So Lagrange is a place. It was a town, a little town in Texas. And the one thing that Lagrange was famous for was a whorehouse mm-hmm. that had been around for a hundred years at that point. And um it was kind of one of those places that was like the whole town knew it existed, but they didn't care because it was like the most profitable thing in the town. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually, uh, the owners used a lot of the money they got from it to do a lot of good for the community. And it was just one of those things that was just like, you know, obviously, you know, for the most part that that kind of business is frowned upon but they just kind of turned a blind eye to it and um it was a very respected well-run establishment like there was a dress code to get in you couldn't swear while you were there and there was no you know alcohol to minors and like it was a very strictly run business mm-hmm. and Dusty Hill had said that he had been there when he was 13, and that was when he learned about life. When he when he transitioned from a boy to a man. So nope. he's so he like, I've got personal experience of all the stories from there. And so um, what actually happened is right after the song came out, a... Uh, a news reporter from Houston did a big expose on the place and got it shut down. That probably didn't be uh, probably didn't end well for the city. No, because it lost its main uh, attraction. It's that main, sucks. Its main uh, source of income. So yeah, the the uh, the town did not do great after that. But it actually ended up being the subject of a an eighties movie starring starring Dolly Parton called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Oh my. So it was a it was it it's a pretty uh notorious 
infamous place. But the first kind of national exposure I got was being the subject of LaGrange. That is rather interesting. It's crazy how, like, the songs that people write, you know, songs that these bands write, the implications that they have. You don't really think about that. Mm -hmm. That for um, some of their subject matter, like, that's the first... um, exposure that they get to nap the nation you know and sometimes that's good you know uh, but sometimes that's in that case not so great i mean from a certain point of view right maybe if you morally frown upon that and you would say ah the the bad outweighs the good then maybe that's a win for you but um you know and i'm not one to to say this and that we're just talking about the music here so Mm -hmm. we're just giving context yeah but yeah um i mean but yeah you look at the lyrics rumors spreading around in that texas town about that shack outside lagrange and you know what i'm talking about just let me know if you want to go to that home out on the range that got a lot of nice girls how 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 (laughs) yeah yeah and also um, the way that uh, Billy Gibbons got his vocal take for that, because this song vocally sounds incredibly different from all his other vocals. Oh, yeah. In fact, I thought this was Dusty Hill for a long time because I was just like, it does not sound like the same guy singing Sharp Dressed Man. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound like the same guy singing Tush either. No, because at that time I didn't know that he sung Tush. And so when I heard that he sung Tush, I was just like, wait, that that doesn't who's singing LaGrange? Is it Frank? Frank. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Um, so I finally learned that Billy wanted his voice to sound very different on this song. And so in order to get his voice at the right point, he ended up uh, stripping down to just his uh, pants in the dead of winter ran outside and ran the block that the studio was on around five times and came back in and did the vocal take and that's why his voice sounds so different is because he like had like drastically put his body through an ordeal in order to to get his voice to sound the way that he wanted it to that is so weird. How did he know that was going to work? <laughs> I don't know. He just knew. <laughs> I mean, obviously it did, right? Yeah. It's got, it's got that weird twang to it, but also it's just kind of like... It's also just so low. It's low, but in a weird way, it's kind of like... Like dangerous. Yeah. Like, like kinda, almost kind of sinister. And also, like... You have to remember that this is this is clean shaven young Billy Gibbons singing this. Like, I feel like that this sounds much more like it would come from old oh, bearded so Billy beard, Gibbons. Yeah. The way yeah. he looks now, it's like you would have thought that a, a an early seventies bearded cowboy would have sung this. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So, that's, yeah. The little stories like that. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you wouldn't get without the podcast. That's right. That's what we're here for. 
All right. But, well. I mean, but yeah, we we get we get this great epic solo to carry us out, and that leads us into our final song. I guess the one song that we would call an epic in ZZ Top's catalog. Yeah, it'd be the closest thing to it. it we're back to Rio Grande Mud, and this is sure got cold after the rain fell. This was the one song on the set that I had never even heard of. This is this is the deep cut. Now usually. I like to throw in at least one less known song in the set. And because the biggest problem I was coming when I was initially putting this, I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to end this because, because of the fact that they, they concentrate mostly on just like feel good, either jam or party songs. You don't have like those song. They don't really have those songs that are like, kind of like that have that big emotional moment. And so when I started listening through, I heard this song, and I was just like, that's it. This is the one. This is what I've been looking for. Mm -hmm. And then I found as I continued to go through that none of the other ones fit this category. This is truly a unique-sounding song in their discography. Yeah, it is very... It's not feel-good. No. It's bad. It's this is this is more traditional blues. This is slow jam blues. Mm-hmm. This is something you would probably expect to hear BB King perform. Ooh, yeah, good point. This is this is authentic blues. This is my baby left me blues. Mm-hmm. And now and now my world has ended. Mm-hmm. And the little. Um... You know, the rain fell not from the sky, but from my eye. Mm-hmm. It's a little rhyme there. Some might say it's kind of cheap. I actually kind of think it's really, like, sophisticated because you think it's the rain, like, around you. And so you're envisioning this rainstorm. But, you know, it's like he's not saying I'm crying. He's saying the rain fell from my eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. Because you originally think that it's like a metaphor. Right. But it's, it, it almost is deeper by not being the metaphor because you expect the metaphor to happen. Right. So. It's a nice bait and switch. <laughs> this, this, this song has our, has our catharsis moment. That, that, that big guitar solo at the end of the song. Mm-hmm. It, we, is, it is a real... Um, uh, I guess you could say it's kind of like a epic in the way that it slowly will build. You know, there's oh. not different suites, but there's that slow rise. Yeah, it's it's almost like a it's almost like a comfortably numb. Yes, it's exactly like comfortably numb. That's that's the perfect that's the perfect explanation, or like a stairway, maybe, but not well, quite. in the in the sense to where it like it's it's very. It rises, but less in speed and in intensity, like in technical ability, but more in emotion. Yes. No, I definitely agree. And whereas other bands, intensity and that speed and maybe, you know, increasing the amount of instruments to convey that emotion, you know, that's not the case here. You know, it's still those same three guys on those same three instruments pretty much throughout the whole song. So, 
In fact, I can't think of an instance where there's more than that. So they have to use the composition to their advantage mm-hmm. and not rely on putting extra things in to be able to convey that emotion. And they do it very, very well. It's kind of a lesson in uh, less is more in a weird way. So, yeah. And it just, I felt like it fit to kind of like, because we don't really, in a way, we don't build to this song. This is, it's, it's a, it's very much a sudden turn. Right. But I felt like that, that it works because in a way you, you can definitely feel a shift as you're getting into just got paid and LaGrange that is leading towards something, but you don't know what. And I think to kind of just all of a sudden slip into this, this, this long, slow blues jam, I feel like feels appropriate. It doesn't get, it doesn't get like crazy emotional because I feel like that that would have been too much of a departure, but it gets just emotional enough to kind of just bring everything together. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's very cathartic in that, you know, the, the chord progression that's underneath this song resolves itself very um, nicely. You know? Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely a uh, this would be this would be considered a deep cut. And running at 7 minutes like they I I can think of like maybe two other songs that hit the 6 minute mark. They don't have any songs that reach 7 minutes. So this is this is definitely in many ways this is a oddball anomaly in ZZ Top's career. And it makes me kind of sad that they didn't write more songs like this cuz they do it so well. Yeah. Like, they've got a couple of other more reserved ballady songs, but none that that reach like the climactic fever pitch that this one does. Mm-hmm. They like their other songs that are more like that tend to stay down and just be more like vibe songs. I, I can think of one other song, and it's a uh, um, rough boy. It's actually it's on Afterburner. The one song that I said was really good on Afterburner is kind of a big power ballad, but more again not in like the '80s way, but like it's a it's an '80s version of this kind of song. But yeah, so every '80s power ballad, in the sense where it's, it's not concentrated on like you know a big hooky chorus um like it's it's much more like it's much more bluesy that might be fun to listen to yeah it's it unfortunately has a bit too much 80s polish on it that kind of it doesn't sound as good but compositionally it's just like oh this is actually pretty great Like if it, I think if it sounded better, it would have made top ten for sure. Wow! Look at you looking at the sound engineering instead of the composition. I mean, I try and take all of all of the uh, perspectives into account. Okay, <laughs> I just doesn't seem like you would do that kind of thing. 
I I don't always notice it, but when I do, I factor it in. That's a good way to do it. Well, because I mean, you would always talk about you don't care about how your t- uh, drums are tuned, so. Mm. That's just, more out of, that's just not, more out of ignorance. It's not the sound, really. It's it's the the person behind the drums, you know. Which and in this I'm, case, it's the person behind the the mic or the amp or whatever that really we're talking about. But anyway, I mean, obviously, I haven't heard the song, so I couldn't tell you if that's maybe, justified maybe or we'll, not. Maybe we'll listen to it in after hours. Maybe we will. You 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 uh, listeners should join us on Patreon for that. Yeah. Well, I think that that finishes up our set though. Yes, it does. So, Blame. we're going to we're going to take another break and when we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts about ZZ Top. So, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about easy top and the six songs that we had picked for this set just as a refresher those songs were gimme all your lovin tush sharp dressed man just got paid lagrange and sure got cold after the rain fell and now it is time to give our final thoughts about zz top so grant you started at a six how do you feel about zz top now well I don't want, and I I don't want this to be uh, a reflection of maybe someone thinking that ZZ Top is bad. I would say I'm still at a six because I just there's not a lot um, of songs here. Number one, and it's also just like it's not in my wheel well, and so personally, I'd have to put them at a six, you know. But that doesn't mean that I'm not interested in going and listening to more. I mean. I want to see now if Eliminator is as bad as people are telling me, because obviously you're saying it's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, so I definitely want to go listen to that. Um, and maybe if I want to hit the 70s, I'll probably check out Rio Grande Mud. You know, we had two songs out here that were really, you know, very different from what I would have expected. And so I'm interested to see if there's more. You know, hopefully I'll have time to hit both of those albums, you know, Um before we have to do our listening for our next episode, you know, but um, no, it's, it's, I think I'm getting a bit of curiosity that I never really had for ZZ Top. And that's a good thing to have is to be curious in a band because maybe I'll find something that I was missing this whole time. So, um, but obviously won't know until I listen. So yeah, I'd have to say still at a six, but that's not because I wasn't impressed. Um, I don't know which one would be my favorite. I really liked Give Me All Your Lovin'. I mean, it's just a good song, you know, but Just Got Paid was very um, different. But Sure Got Cold After the Rain Fell, I don't know. I'd probably have to go with Sure Got Cold After the Rain Fell because it surprised me the most. It had some really good moments. It It held itself back for a band that doesn't seem to um, hold themselves back from that uh, wall of sound, cool, you know, 
wow factor with the big beards and the cool car and you know that kind of stuff it was just a very simple very humble song and that that was um a very interesting experience to just listen to for the first time so that one would probably be my favorite just because of that is that it's it kind of had more meaning to me as a listener you know, not necessarily deep meaning, but it had a neat experience for me as a listener more than the other songs. Um, so I guess that's my final thought. Not much of a final thought. Usually I have more final thoughts. Hmm. But uh, so how about you? Well, um, I also started at a six. I understand how you feel because the I've never been much into blues music. Although... You know, ZZ Top is probably um, the most I've enjoyed blues so far. But like how you feel, it's not always in my wheelhouse. But I will say that I've moved up to a seven because I've gotten to hear a lot of their music. I've found quite a bit that I'm just like, man, I would go back and listen to this. But I don't think ZZ Top will ever be one of those bands that's like going to profoundly affect me musically. But I found that my appreciation and my admiration for ZZ Top has very much grown. Um, just like learning about them and um, kind of just looking, I'm just going, man, these guys are just so cool. Yeah, I will say that. It was it was fun to hear all the stories and why Frank Beard is the only guy without a beard and <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of stuff. It was very interesting to... Um, to learn about all that that you really don't think too much about you just are like huh i wonder why and then you go on about your day so that was that was definitely very fun our first segment was a very fun segment yeah so move from a six to a seven but and it's again it's not because they're not great musicians or i don't like them it's just i just know that that genre as much is not going to be what I revisit, although who knows, maybe if I get into more blues music, that stuff will in a return visit affect me more. Maybe. As far as my favorite song goes, um, I mean, I've always loved LaGrange. It's one of those songs that I've always enjoyed playing and I've always enjoyed listening to. And I think I got to go with that one. But as far as big surprises, I think Just Got Paid was the one that I've like been like, oh man, this why haven't I heard this song before? And so yeah. that that's the one that kind of surprised me and kind of really um, came up as a new favorite. Good. So, Harry was very into ZZ Top. I believe it. He thought I bet, that he, I bet he was an Eliminator fan. Oh, yeah. His favorite was Gimme All Your Lovin'. Oh, yeah. And every time I asked him, what's your favorite ZZ Top song? He'd say, Gimme All Your Lovin', All Your Hugs and Kisses too." Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, he just, he thought it was so cool with the beers and the cars and... I didn't. I didn't let him watch the music video just because there's a lot of like risque, scantily clad women, a little, a little too sexual. 
but I, yeah. I did show him pictures of just what they looked like and showed him some clips of them just playing. And he thought that it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then Callie's pick, she does not like this music at all, but in the same way as you, she was very surprised by sure got cold after the rain fell. And she was just like, Oh, I actually like this. Yes. Yes. Correct answer. So, <laughs> and then the ranked playlist. So I don't have ZZ top fully ranked. I went all the way up to 1990. Oh, wow. And that ended up being the perfect amount to do. How many songs was that? It was 97. Oh, that's still a lot of music. It is. Now, it was still a shorter one than I normally do, but I had a lot else going on this week. So it was it was actually the perfect amount for me to digest and be able to go through twice. I think like seven hours total. Oh, my. So, um, but of course, everything we talked about is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had put Give Me All Your Lovin' at number eight, Tush at number six, Sure Got Cold at number five, Just Got Paid at number four, LaGrange at number two, and Sharp Dressed Man at number one. Give Me All Your Lovin' is at the bottom of those. It's still in the top ten. <laughs> yeah. That's a strong top ten. It's a let me tell you what, this is an incredibly strong discography in general. Incredibly strong. That explained their longevity. Yeah. Now, I don't I'm not exactly sure how good their nineties and beyond is. Right. But if it's they always struck me as a band that never got so whacked out that they like did all the like they don't they're not a band that's gonna make a, a wasp band type of song yeah they're not gonna they're not gonna do new metal no or or grunge they're not gonna make a tattered and torn right so or even even our worst song that we're gonna talk about in our after hours segment is just like eh, it's not that bad that's good to know yeah well that's the end of our episode. Thank you everyone so much for listening. And if you enjoyed what you heard, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday at midnight. So as soon as it turns from Sunday to Monday, that episode's ready to go for y'all. Um, next week is going to be a continuation of our music history series that we do at the end of every month. We're going to be finally stepping from the Baroque period, which we've been in for like the last five months. Yeah. And we're going to f- step into the classical period, which is is such a fun period of history. Um, even if you are not into all that kind of stuff, still tune in. Those episodes are always really fun to do. And a lot of cool, interesting history with all of it. So make sure you check that out next week. Um, head over to Instagram and Facebook. Check out what we're doing there. We've got um, you know, a lot of stuff that we like to participate with you guys on, as well as that's where you're going to get all your news and info about what's coming up next from us. And then on whatever uh, platform you're listening on, leave us a review. If you add into that review what artist you want us to cover in a future episode, then we might just feature it. So... 
Um, the last thing you can do is check the two links in the description of the episode. One of them takes you to a Spotify playlist where you will find these songs. Make sure you check them out. And then the other link will take you to our Patreon page where you can get access to episodes early as well as access to our bad music podcast segment where we're going to talk about ZZ Top 6 worst songs. It's a lot of fun. So that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.